Today on Ag News Daily. So that one's going to move right through the main growing area. It's going to initiate some storms. I imagine some of those storms are going to be severe because they have had a lot of heat in place to really destabilize the atmosphere. And then the front just kind of stalls over Uruguay and northern Argentina. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined here by Delaney Howell on this Friday episode, which is brought to you by Zyway brand fungicides by FMC. Delaney, have you gotten any snow or anything just yet this afternoon? Oh, yes, Ashton. I woke up. I, for some reason, thought the snow wasn't supposed to start until later in the day, but I woke up this morning and everything is covered in white again after we had, you know, two days of basically 50, 55 degree weather. So, yes, everything is blanketed in white and we're supposed to get, I think, like five to seven inches last I checked. So, certainly going to be a wintry mix for folks living in Iowa here over Friday into Saturday. Well, luckily, you know, you and I missed the announcement here, but, you know, Monday is MLK Day, so markets are going to be closed. We're not going to have a podcast that day, so it's going to be a nice semi-three-day weekend for you to recover there. That's true, and when it's snowing like this, and, you know, you... I don't like to drive in the snow. I drive a truck, but I still get nervous because I was in an accident once in college due to the snow. So I still get a little nervous, even with the four-wheel drive. But, uh, you know, days like this, it's like, this is the perfect opportunity to clock out this afternoon when I'm finished up with my work and just have a couple days of like house projects, watching some Netflix, reading a book by the fireplace, really not leaving the house if I can help it. You know, that just sounds like me on a regular day, not wanting to leave my house. (laughs) Well, that's okay. That's okay, Ashton. We can't all be out and about. Yeah, that's very true. I'm kind of a homebody person these days. But other than that, Delaney, we do have some news to plow through today. So why don't you go ahead and kick things off for us? I would love to because we do have a lot of folks out and about this week at the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention, which is underway in Atlanta. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack spoke to members there in person earlier this week about the phase one agreement with China, which is, of course, now expired. However, he took the time to reassure farmers and ranchers that the White House will be pushing China to make up for the $16 billion shortfall that we saw under phase one of the agreement. He didn't really offer much comment from what I've read as far as how they're going to push forward on a phase two, which really still poses a lot of question marks there. But he did say that he was uh, working closely with the Biden administration on phase one shortfalls as well as phase two and a list of other programs that the Biden administration has put forward for the past year that will impact the ag industry. So certainly a little bit of news, but more like not news really in that instance. You know, Delaney, I'm glad that you picked up on that because I really haven't seen a whole lot when it comes to the phase one trade deal 
here lately. And to, to be honest, I completely got that that deal was expired and we're kind of looking for the next steps here. But hopefully one of us are going to be keeping our eyes peeled for any news stories that come out about that here in the future. But I did have something that I wanted to talk about today concerning the supply chain. As we know, there's been a ton of supply chain issues because of the workforce, COVID-19, et cetera, et cetera. And we're starting to see this hit and really cause harm here to a shortage of commonly used medications in the livestock veterinary industry. In a recent report, Iowa State University Vet Medicine Associate Professor Dr. Pat Gordon commented on the current penicillin shortage. Gordon, who is also currently president of the American Association of Bovine Practitioners, said that vets have struggled to find even a few bottles of injectable PNG. Debbie Riger, who is the office manager for Country Aid Vet Service in Wichita, Kansas, said that she began noticing drug shortages in her routine ordering back in the fall of 2020, which I think is, you know, to be expected there because that was really the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. But the situation has now grown worse as the pandemic has worn on. Recently, she has not been able to access long-acting penicillin at all. And of course, we're seeing this happen to a couple of other drugs as well. There's been reported short supply for uh, tetracyclines, flunixin, and meloxicam. And common animal practitioners face even longer lists of drug shortages, including commonly used euthanasia drugs. So makes me wonder, you know, how we're going to deal with some of these drug issues when it comes to, you know, our livestock, but also pets, you know, because you want your pet to stay healthy. But of course, those livestock that we are using to feed the world, really, And also kind of makes me wonder what kind of issues we're also seeing when it comes to human drugs. You know, I walked into CVS the other day to get some allergy medicine and the shelves were completely empty. I mean, I know everyone's pretty much sick right now, whether that is with COVID-19. There's been a lot of cases of the flu here recently, but it just posed a, a couple of questions in my brain. Ashton, this is a random side note, but if we're ever together and I'm sick, don't give me penicillin. I am allergic. Okay, I will keep that in mind. (laughs) Well, uh, let's see. I don't have any other funny news. That was really my one joke for the day. (laughs) Um, But I do have some news here. Again, coming out of China, looking at some data here from 2021. Meat imports fell 5.4% in 2021, which is once again another indication that China is rebuilding their hog herd. and actually doing so. We have the data now to prove that they have been slowing down on pork imports. More than half the meat imported by China, of course, is pork, but about a quarter of that as well is beef. And in 2021, China bought 9.38 million metric tons of meat, which is down from 9.91 million metric tons in 2020. Domestic pork prices fell for most of last year and are down 14% so far this year in 2022. So it is expected that, of course, this trend of less imports, especially on the pork side, are expected to continue here into 2022. But Ashton, as we're also talking about some end of the year numbers here, I've got some other numbers 
about tractor and combine sales for 2021. After seven years of slow sales in the equipment sector, big growth leaders in the machinery and sales business said in 2021 that things have finally picked up here. Even amid supply shortages and other difficulties caused by the pandemic, nearly 360,000 tractors and combines were sold from dealer lots in 2021 in North America, according to the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Sales of tractors over 100 horsepower shot up 24%, four-wheel drives increased 18%, and harvesters experienced nearly a 25% boost for 2021 compared to the previous year. Now, of course, I would guess a lot of this is related to the fact that farmers have a little extra jingle in their pocket, But uh, the Equipment Leasing and Finance Association says that don't take this as a sure sign that pandemic woes are over yet. And we may not expect to see this trend in 2022. So certainly thought that was a little bit of interesting news here on this Friday afternoon. You know, Delaney, you were making a funny comment on my story. I'm fixing to make a funny one on yours, but my friends and I were out at a brew house here on Wednesday night, and one of the waiters slash bartenders was chatting with us just about what we were in school for. And of course, we're talking about agriculture, and he was making fun of tractors, talking about, you know, he didn't want to be in them in the winter because he didn't know that tractors are as fancy as they are now. He didn't know that they were enclosed or, you know, had a radio in them or an AC system or even a buddy seat. And so we're telling him all these things. And one of my friends made a comment about how, you know, farm equipment can be even more expensive than, you know, a sports car, like a Ferrari. And I think that this waiter almost fainted at that news about how much it really takes to pay for farm equipment. Oh yeah. People have no idea. No, none. And, uh, you know, it, it just baffles me how expensive these pieces are getting. And, you know, even more expensive as we make new additions and come out with fancier things, you know, like John Deere's autonomous tractor. I, I think it's all amazing. But either way, I wouldn't want to be a farmer because I wouldn't want to pay that much for those kinds of things. But I'm going to move along here and talk about the Farmers Business Network and the Environmental Defense Fund, because they announced earlier this week the launch of the FBN Regenerative Agriculture Finance Fund, otherwise known as RAF. This program is one of the first U.S. ag financing programs that's going to reward farmers who meet soil health and nitrogen efficiency standards through access to lower rates and fees, as well as agronomic insights to optimize the on-farm benefits of regenerative practices. RAF credit lines will replace traditional operating loans with a one-year line of credit that includes a 0.5% discount from a farmer's base rate. To qualify, farmers must meet environmental eligibility requirements developed by EDF and backed by peer-reviewed scientific research, including nitrogen management and soil conservation standards. So just another program here to really keep our eyes out on, especially as I think that regenerative practices are becoming increasingly popular. Well, Ashton, before I get to my last piece of news, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor at FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. 
Active Ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Ashton, my last piece of news is a good segue into our interview for today, which we are chatting with Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient Ag Solutions to chat all things weather. But as we look at end of the year reports for 2021, I've got one final one here that looks at weather impacts in the year of 2021. I love this chart. I'll share it on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily, but it looks basically at weather events and what they totaled up to equal for the year. And I love looking at these year over year. I just think they're really interesting. But of course, in 2021, we saw a lot of different events with hurricanes, tornadoes, severe weather, wildfires, winter mixes, you know, add all of those things up. And they totaled in 2021, $145 billion, which is the third costliest year on record. Uh, as just, you know, a side reference, I believe 2019 and 2020 numbers combined were something like 60, $65 billion. So almost two and a half times more expensive than two years combined happened in 2021. And the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, which puts, puts together these reports every year, said that significant economic effects on the areas impacted really were noted in the year of 2021. But uh, th these events totaled something like 20 separate billion dollar weather events alone. So we saw a lot of hurts to producers' balance sheets that were in those areas that were affected. I just thought that was interesting. Might not be, this may be a little more doom and gloom weather update there, but certainly something that does impact a producer's balance sheet year over year. You know, Delaney, I never do like reporting on the gloom and doom type of things, but we've got to do it. It's part of the job. It certainly is, Ashton. And part of our job is also to report on commodity markets. What do you say we share where those left us for today? Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, of course, as we mentioned, folks, we are going to be closed on the podcast. If you want to say that, we don't obviously have an office, but we will not be having a podcast on Monday. Markets will be closed due to MLK Day. And ahead of Monday's holiday session, we saw mixed trade today in the grain markets. March corn up eight and three quarters cents at 596 and a quarter. The DEES 22 contract up just a half a cent, closing the day out at 558 and a quarter. Hopping over into the soybean pits today, the March contract shed seven and a half cents, closing at 1369 and three quarters. The November contract down 11 and a half cents, closing at 1293. In the wheat pits today, Chicago March contract shed five and a quarter cent at 741 and a half. The May settling four and a half cents lower at 744 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at livestock markets for today, we saw that mixed trade continue. February live cattle closed 97 and a half cents higher at 137.97. The April up a dollar 15, closing at a buck 42.12. Feeder cattle showed weakness today with the January contract, excuse me, with the March contract down 35 cents, closing at 163.37 and a half. The April cut 12 and a half cents today, closing at a dollar 70. 
and in lean hogs. We saw big moves today in the February contract, adding $3.05, closing the day out at $80.90. The April closing the week up $3.12.5 at $88.45. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. February today up, excuse me, February today down eight cents, closing at 22.12. The March up 17, closing at 22.50. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Eric Snodgrass. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Friday conversation, it's not such a Friday Friday here in Iowa because we're getting some snow and we're going to talk about that snow and other weather patterns today with Nutrient Ag Solutions Science Fellow Eric Snodgrass. Eric, how are you doing today? Well, I'm I'm wishing I was in Iowa. I'd rather see some snow, but I'm stuck here in, in East Central Illinois where we've got nothing. So that's how I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because before we started recording today, you mentioned that Illinois really hasn't seen any substantial snowfall that yet this year, yet in this winter season. And and you know what? That's a good and it's a bad thing. And this is what I mean by that. Okay. So parts of central Southern Illinois over to Indiana, there's a big just snow drought or snow hole where we just keep missing all these systems, including the one that's going through Iowa now that dips into the Mid-South, you know, and then goes through Tennessee, Kentucky, and then up the East Coast. We're going to miss all of that. But I, I, I say that, but at the same time, we are going to get some pretty cold air in here. And when you have uncovered ground, the snow remembers an insulator. So when you have that uncovered ground and the temperatures, we might see single digit temperatures here before we finish the next couple of weeks on several days. And that's really fantastic for the soil because of the contraction. Uh, when you get it that cold and how deep the freeze gets, it helps undo some of the problems with compaction. So while I'm a little bit bummed, I, we don't have any of the snow around just to make it a bit prettier. Uh, I, I think overall for ag in this part of the, of the country, this is not a bad thing because we're not hurting for moisture right now in the soil. So I okay. you know, got to take the good with the bad. That, and that was going to be my follow-up question was, yes, it's great for compaction, but soil moisture I know was definitely a big issue heading into planting season last year. And it sounds like maybe that's not the case in Illinois, but I know as you look into the plain areas, where a lot of wheat is grown, that's still a concern, is it not? I mean, if I could just be honest, and, and I'm not exaggerating, this is my greatest concern right now of, of all that's going on in weather. I know there's a lot of discussion about South America, but the fact that there are places in Texas and Oklahoma and Colorado and Kansas that have not measured rain, some places going back 70 days, we've seen, uh, you know, well, just taking case uh, today on Friday, uh, we've got a big winter storm that's going through Iowa. You know what they've got in the plains is they've got red flag warnings, wind advisories, wind warnings, there's fire weather watches. And that's just indicative of how that drought is. And it's gotten worse. It's actually had up to a four class degradation and drought in the last three months. And the way that the weather patterns are setting up, um, I don't see things changing at all for the Southern Plains as we progress through the end of January and into February. What I don't like is if there's drought there and, and and you and I and others are still talking about it in May, then that's a major concern for the Western Corn Belt. It's a major concern for the hard red winter wheat belt, sorghum, cotton, and that could push north. If it's in Missouri, by the time we get into May, I, we have a much different discussion for next year. 
So Eric, I want to go back talking a little bit about the snow and winter precipitation. One, I think it's funny that people in the Midwest are upset that they haven't had snow yet, because I feel like I always (laughs) hear about people complaining about winters in the Midwest, but you and your kids, like we talked about before we talked on the podcast, are very upset that you guys have not seen any snow yet. So I just want to point out that I think that that's funny, but you know, I'm down here in Texas and we've had some snow here in the panhandle on New Year's Day, but I feel like we typically get a little bit more in January and February. So what's the outlook there? Do you think that we're going to see any wintry mixes or any snowfall before, you know, we get some spring weather? Well, sure. Cause I mean, you still have chances now for the next, uh, you know, 60 days to get that. What I'm concerned about though, is that in the near term, there's going to be just a big ridge up the West coast. So what ends up happening is you end up getting more flow out of the West off the mountains or out of the desert across the Southern plains down into Texas. And that's the wrong direction. I mean, if the, if the prevailing wind direction is from there, it comes over the mountains, it dries out, it's mild. I mean, You've seen how mild it is in Texas. Shoot, December smashed the all-time record for Texas by over six degrees being above the climatological, uh, excuse me, behind above second place. And it beat the 1933 rank uh, there for Texas with how warm December was. These little mild spells, when they come in, they, uh, they warm things up, they increase evaporation. And on that bare soil, we just keep robbing it of moisture. But all it takes... All it takes is for the jet stream to just move west, dig a trough over California, cut across the four corner states or come out of Mexico. And all of a sudden we'll be having a conversation about big time snow coming out of, you know, parts of uh, uh, New Mexico into the panhandles. That, That could still happen. I'm just not seeing it at least in the next 10 plus days. Well, Eric, as much as we love talking about weather here, we are going to put a pause in our conversation to hear a bit more from FNC. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. So, Eric, we're talking obviously short range forecast right now. There's a lot of different patterns going on as far as no snow in Illinois, lots of snow here in Iowa, dryness as we look at the plains. But heading into planting season, it's hard to believe we're talking about that already, but it's really right around the corner for a lot of producers as some might hit the fields as early as, you know, beginning of April. What are we looking at as far as a longer range forecast heading into planting season? Yeah, so we've we've had this La Nina now for two years, and this one, current one we have, reached a peak probably in December, especially when you look at just the atmospheric response to La Nina. I think it peaked in December, and it's slowly fading, but La Ninas have like long, slow deaths. They just take forever to go away, and as this one starts to fade, what it's going to end up doing, at least this is what's reflected in the models, is if you're around or east of the Mississippi River going into April, May, and June, I cannot find a long-range forecast that right now shows dry. I I see them all showing near average to above average precipitation. All these same models are responding to the other dominant factor in their long-range prediction, first one being ocean temperatures, the second one being 
uh, uh, soil moisture. And so they look at how dry it is in the plains and the model to break away from that dryness. That's not one of the strengths of these long-term models. So they tend to just keep the dryness in the plains. Now, remember, we had the same discussion last year. It was very dry, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado last winter. And then the spring rains came through and undid all of that. And they had a phenomenal growing year uh, down in the Southern Plains because of it. That's still on the table. That could happen. But we've got to be able to see the gestion get around, come out of the Southwest to make that occur. So right now, if I was a farmer in the Mississippi River Valley in East, I do not see moisture problems moving forward. And there's no reason at this point to be looking at a really cold start to spring. These fading La Ninas don't tend to produce really, really cold Aprils. So we, we look at all of that and say, hey, I think there's going to be a decent start to this next year. And that should have a lot of folks, I, I think, relatively happy. So, Eric, you know, up here in the U.S., we are talking about winter weather. But, of course, down in South America, they are having a pretty hot and dry summertime. So, I want to talk about Argentina specifically because I read a report earlier this week talking about those scorching temperatures, you know, hitting at least 113 degrees Fahrenheit. But I believe the report I was reading was about Argentina specifically, like I said, talking about how come Sunday there's going to be some cooler temperatures and some chances for rain. Is that report correct or what are we seeing down there? Yeah, it is. And, and and so we have a front, the first front in a very long time going to sweep across Argentina. Remember, their fronts come from the south, their cold fronts do. So that one's going to move right through the main growing area. It's going to initiate some storms. I imagine some of those storms are going to be severe because they have had a lot of heat in place to really destabilize the atmosphere. And then the front just kind of stalls over Uruguay and northern Argentina and Rio Grande do Sol, bringing rain back to places that some of those areas are between four and eight inches in deficit just in the last 45 days of total precipitation. So uh, now the question is, if, if, is it going to really help the crop and the crop conditions reports? For any bit of crop that was planted early, the answer is no. It's like, it's like having a drought in Iowa and then putting rain on it in late September. That's just not the, you know, for that really early planted stuff, it's not going to help. But for anything planted a little bit later, this rain is really going to help help some of those regions out. The heaviest rains are not going to be over kind of the epicenter of ag in Argentina. I'm talking about like Cordoba and just to the east of Cordoba or over toward Buenos Aires. You know, it's going to be a bit farther north along the Paraná River and then into Uruguay. So uh, is it going to help? Yes, it's hitting about 50% of the drought region down there in southern Brazil and Argentina. So it's not like it's full coverage. And uh, while all that's happening, the places that were super wet, like Mato Grosso over toward Bahia, those northern growing areas in Brazil are going to go over dry. And those folks are really happy because they want to harvest that first crop of soybeans and put in the safrina crop of corn. So it's almost as though we took the pattern in December and just topped it over and flipped it over. And now we've got moisture coming south and dryness coming north. And Eric, obviously, we saw a little bit of reflection that South America is struggling struggling with the crop there on this week's WASD report, where USDA, of course, cut some numbers there on production for Brazil. But do you think that we're going to have to continue to see those production numbers come down based on what you're sharing about these weather patterns? 
you know, for the full season soybeans, I mean, we, we've we've seen a lot of folks in the industry take it from what it initially was, which was 144 to 145 millimetric ton down somewhere in the mid 130s to upper 130s. There's a few folks that are way down there. At this point, I don't have a reason to say that that number is going to continue to fall. What will happen is as harvest occurs and we actually get the real data in, we'll see adjustments based upon that. But from a weather perspective, you know, right now we're we're getting rid of the really dangerous weather to the crop with this front that's sliding through at this time period. But remember, one rain does not make an entire crop. This whole pattern needs to stay shifted in the south. I'm talking about Argentina and southern Brazil in order for the crop to uh, continue to at least maintain itself or see some improvement. So to answer your question, um, I think that if there is risk, it's on the downside, but not nearly as big had this front we're just now talking about not come through. Well, Eric, you know, you are no stranger to the podcast, but it's been some time since we've had you on. So maybe we have some new listeners out there or some listeners who don't know it yet, but you of course have your newsletter that you put out. So why don't you give us a little bit more information about that and where our listeners can find you? Yeah, sure. So every day I just put out a, an email report that just kind of covers the things that I think are going to be most impactful to ag. And that's free. Nutrient lets me give it out for free, which is great. It also includes twice a week video analysis for both North and South America. And uh, people want to get it maybe the easiest way, because uh, the URL to sign up is a bit long. But if they just email me, we can get it to them. And that's just eric.snodgrass at nutrient.com. And it's E-R-I-C. I don't have a K in my name. So E-R-I-C uh, dot S-N-O-D-G-R-A-S-S at nutrient.com. And I'll get you signed up for it for free. Awesome. Well, again, Eric, thank you for coming back on the show for a weather update. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again there to Eric for coming on the pod today and giving us a bit of a weather outlook. Really enjoy having him on. I think that he makes this stuff pretty easy to digest because as simple as talking about the rain may be being a, a weather person like he is and really looking at from an analytical standpoint, I think it takes a whole different breed of person. Yes, absolutely. And he is one of my favorite people to chat weather with. So I hope that that certainly makes for an interesting conversation for all of our listeners. But we're going to have some great conversations in the works next week. Final reminder, folks, we will not be having a podcast on Monday due to MLK Day and markets will be closed. So you'll hear from us on Tuesday for the next hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.